Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hello. Today we're doing the 1983 fantasy adventure film, Krull. Mm-hmm. Now, Krull came out in 1983. Columbia Pictures wanted to get involved into the um, sci-fi fantasy, get a piece of that, you know, Star Wars pie. And initially, I, apparently, the movie was supposed to be something like Dragons of Krull or a much more straightforward fantasy film. Mm-hmm. But then, because, you know, Star Wars was such a huge thing and Return of the Jedi was coming up right around the corner, they decided they wanted to add a little bit of sci-fi element to it. Mm-hmm. So, apparently this movie was loaded with production problems from start to finish. Like, <laughs> constantly the producers changing their minds about what they wanted to do. So the fact that... Peter Yates and his cast and crew put together a not only a just a watchable movie, but a really fun and energetic and exciting movie is testament to their skills. Mm, absolutely, because I believe there was a there were like yeah everything like rewrites everything. The movie opens with a shot of the Black Fortress, the suitably menacing looking you know evil fortress of our villain known simply as the Beast. Very evocative fly... of, uh, yeah, all sorts of sci-fi, especially Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, opening a Star Wars, opening a 2001, mm-hmm. flying yeah, onto to the planet to land on the planet Krull. This was probably a last-minute addition because a lot of the film makes it seem like almost everything regarding to Krull and... Um, the beast invading other worlds is done in voiceover exposition. Right. So it's, it wouldn't surprise me if this was all added after the fact to make other worlds into a, you know, make it more of like, Oh, sci-fi. And we travel to other planets via flame mares. Apparently. I don't know. Well, uh, no, I mean, I guess you could look at the, um, the fortress as like the anti-enterprise, right? And this would be the episode where they happen to go to a place that looks like Earth, but it's in the 50s or, you know, like the time where they went to the you know Roman times somehow. Um, I don't really watch Star Trek. I just know that those episodes more or less happened. Uh, and that's kind of what this is, except Krull is some Earth-like, but um, sort of medieval-ish kind of um, uh, level society, like a high fantasy kind of level society. And... Um, the only other, except for the voiceover, uh, the one other direct reference that's made to the intergalactic or interplanetary, uh, at least, aspect of it is, um, we can get to them, but when they bring up the um, uh, Cyclops, um, it's specifically said that the Cyclops isn't actually from Crawley, from a different world, but um, they've got a vendetta, and we can get into that character, but they've got a vendetta against the, um, the Beast and his army, and um, he somehow traveled to Krull. Um, That's what I'm saying. There's I'd like knowledge. to know how, yeah. <laughs> there's there's obvious knowledge of other worlds, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in a fantasy realm, you could just say, oh, he's from another world, either making it another dimension or just a world far away. Right, you right, know? right. I mean, I, I agree with you that the inter, you know, again, interplanetary aspect of it or really playing up that sci-fi part of it was probably added, you know, later in the game. Um, but otherwise... Um, I, you know, I imagine uh, everything is played more or less, yeah, as it is, because it, it's 
it's more fantasy than than sci-fi but it has just the you know right amount of um sci-fi in it to just make it really unique yes so the movie basically like we said it begins with the the shot of the evil fortress landing on crow we get an opening narration about how you know if these two if basically uh colwyn and lissa marry they will break the curse of the beast and their son will one day rule the galaxy right which that's uh kenneth marshall and lissa anthony but dubbed lissa anthony for some reason well, I guess the reason was like they wanted an American voice for whatever reason, um, for better billing is what I, I've come to understand um, from the from the commentary. But it's just strange. Well, don't forget, originally Mad Max was dubbed over in this country because it was assumed we wouldn't be able to understand those crazy Australian accents. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and the dubbing works mostly OK. It's a little unsettling at times, um, but where it really falls apart is later on when, uh, well, I guess we'll get to it. But, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the scene where she's kidnapped and has to, like, be calling out to call when it just you can tell it's not her <laughs> and that it's like 80 yard in and it's a little weird, but it, it works more or less OK otherwise. Right. So we get the, the beast arriving with his slayers. And then we get another exposition dump about how two kingdoms are uniting under Prince Colwyn and Princess... It's Alyssa, right? Or is it Lissa? It's Alyssa, yep. Okay. They're going to marry and unite two warring kingdoms so those kingdoms can unite and fight against the Slayers. Now, one I just want to remark on, just I I really like the costume design on this movie. Absolutely. Slayers look really cool. And the knights of uh, Lissa's kingdoms have kind of a cool, both futuristic and medieval blend to their armor. They remind me of the. Um, they remind me of like the Imperial Guard in in, uh, in uh, Star Wars, and those are like my, one of my favorite character designs, like ever. Yes. So we get a quick exposition about how the two kingdoms have been at war; they're enemies, but. Uh, Colwyn and Lissa fell, somehow fell in love, decided that they're going to get married and unite the kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And just as the wedding ceremony is going on, Slayers crash the party, as they will do. Right, as they want to do. And we get a pretty cool action sequence. And what's really cool is, about, and I forgot this about the Slayers, is the Slayers are actually, I guess, a slug-like being that lives inside almost robotic armor. Right. When, when they're killed, this thing breaks out of the head of the the robot thing and you know burrows into the ground probably to return to get another body or whatever they're really it's a really really cool sequence because not only do the slayers first attack like they apparently have a one-shot laser rifle Mm -hmm. where they can fire a blue laser and then they switch to you know like a staff like a spear staff yeah and then even then, when you when they're having the sword fights, there's this red electric discharge whenever you know right. there's a connection made, and so Lissa is sent off with some guards to escape out the back, while Colwyn and the kings hold off the slayers, and 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 Colwyn's got some cool Errol Flynn moments during the battle, as you know he's jumping around and swinging across, you know, on a rope and 
fighting his way. Lissa's oh, yeah. Get, he he Lissa, so looks the part. Everybody does, but he so looks the part in this. He definitely looks the part of a 1940s matinee idol. Yeah, like you couldn't draw a better character than uh, Ken Marshall in this movie. Uh, like I said to you in text, like if, if I could pick to look like one character ever, uh, like forever, it might be him in this movie. His costume is evocative of like Errol Flynn in... in uh... Robin Hood. Definitely, yeah. He's got, like, tights going on, yeah. Or tight pants, anyway. So, there's a really great stunt fall where he gets shot and really throws himself down a flight of stairs. Mm. It's, I, I don't know if they were padded or styrofoam, but it's a really great, great stunt fall. So, the Slayers take uh, Princess Lissa off to the Black Fortress, which has a neat little feature of it disappearing mm-hmm. from some wherever it is at sunrise and appearing at some other random place on the planet. So it's really hard to lay siege to or even infiltrate. I want to, I mean, in the worst possible way, I want to play a really good uh, game representation of this movie, which somehow was never really made. Like there was Atari and, and uh, arcade ones that were kind of like very basic, but like th- there's so much world building here that is so very cool that should be explored. Um, I would love to see this as like uh, a Netflix sort of you know mini series kind of redone. Like this, this definitely has legs. Uh, we're introduced to Freddie Jones as Janier, otherwise known as the Old One. Mm-hmm. Who will be our Obi Wan Kenobi for the movie? Right, your your requisite old man. Yep. You know, giver of knowledge, sage advice. He takes Colin under his uh, lead, and they go off to find the glaive, mm-hmm. which is you know it's in all the advertising. It's this nifty little sh- shuriken type of throwing weapon with switchblades and. It's really cool, but it's also ends up being inconsequential. Pretty much. Um, you, it's also you, confusingly named. Well, first of all, like, like it's, it's set up as if it's almost like Excalibur. Whoever right. wields the glaive is the rightful king of Crow. Right, right. It's like Sword in the but Stone, yeah. Apparently it's in a mountain underneath some lava somewhere and they have to go get it. Right. Which he does, and you know, you get this cool little sequence of him climbing the mountain, you know, dodging rocks, and then sticking his hand in lava, pulling out the glaive, and then this crusty rock that's formed around the glaive falls off, and and it's a really cool, you know, visual. Right. But you know, doesn't he comes down even when he comes down the mountain, he's about to throw it. You know, it's like no, no, wait till you need to use it, and I'd be like, oh, come on. I just climbed a mountain and stuck my hand in lava. I right. can't play with my new toy. I'm I using, gotta wait. Exactly. I'm using this now. Like you know, when normally you when you when you're going into the secret cave to get the magic weapon, and in Zelda, it's literally just as easy as walking into the cave and a little man gives it to you. You start swinging it right away. What 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 are you waiting around? Like, is this thing? Do you pay per glaive use or something? <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Don't I want to train a little bit? <laughs> you know. There, there are several action sequences throughout the film where we could have been able to just see him use it against the Slayer, oh. you know? Oh. It's, it really is just a waste of a rather iconic thing. Absolutely, for as much as they throw it into the movie, and in fact, it's the symbol of uh, Lissa's kingdom. Like, it's all over the place. So it's obviously very important, but like, 
I guess I don't know if it was just I don't know if it was a budget issue. I don't know if it was just they weren't really thinking about it in many of the script rewrites. Um, maybe they expected the the reveal to be way more impressive than it really was. I I don't get it either, man. Because when you see that lightsaber in Star Wars, it gets used. You know, when you see the blasters, they get used. So yeah, I don't get it. It wouldn't surprise me if it just got lost in the rewrites. Right, right. I think someone just forgot to say, hey, maybe we should use this thing. Because uh, you're right, there doesn't seem to be any explicable reason not to. Because they certainly don't say why. It's not like, oh, you'll die if you use it too much, or it'll drive you insane, like the dark side or something. No, it's just, he just kind of pockets it for a while and forgets about it. Like the health potion in, in some RPG that you suddenly re remember at the last second. So here our two main protagonists begin on their quest to and basically we start they start again like in Star Wars meeting new characters and building their army. Yes. The first they meet is Ergo the Magnificent. Yep. Who uh, is a short in stature, narrow in vision, so on. Yep. No, no, no. Short in stature, tall in power, narrow in purpose, but wide, wide in, in vision. vision, right? And he's um I don't know. If he really mostly what he does is shape changing. Yep. Um, he's comic relief. He's good comic relief, not annoying comic relief. Which yeah, he's is, great. Which is great. And and, and you only... recognize him from Willy Wonka and the Charlie, uh, Chocolate Factory. Yes, he's Charlie's teacher. Yep. I don't know which class it was, but right. Um, there's a great the, the the animation of him turning into a goose is really well done. Yeah. But it obviously costs a lot because every other transformation will happen off screen. Right. Um, he'll walk around a tree and come out as a dog or, you know, you'll hear the sound effect in there. But, it, yeah, it must have cost him a lot to do that initial effect. Mm -hmm. uh, then they meet um, Torquil and his bands of rake, rakes, rogues, and rapscallions. Which include Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane Hell in very yeah. early roles. Yep. And you know, they sign on because, you know even though we know they're they escape prisoners because they're wearing manacles and shackles, mm -hmm. at one point during like a the, their brief confrontation when they first try to, I guess, rob Colwyn, he's you know, basically states I never kill a man unless I have to. So these guys are thieves and, and, and criminals, but they're not evil. Right. So they join up. They then meet. Well, they're going to go see, go see the seer. Right. Or the emerald seer, because he will be able to predict where the fortress will transport to next so they can storm it and rescue Lyssa. Uh, along the way, Ergo encounters the Cyclops, which, as we mentioned, was from another world. They have an ancient grudge against the beast because they traded one of their eyes to see the future. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the beast, you know, scammed them and took one of their eyes. And the only future they're allowed to see is the time of their own death. Which is, you know, one of the very ways this movie goes early 80s, but also kind of for kids where it just goes really dark. <laughs> like it's it's a fun movie, but it also gets pretty kind of, you know, dark. And that's and that's really dark, man. Again, we see no money was wasted on makeup effects because the 
one eye effect on the Cyclops is really well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, they even made it so it could blink. Right. You know, it looks like That's a real convincing. eye. Yeah. Although I guess the actor pretty much had to stumble around near blind half the time in this prosthetics. Yeah. They're very convincing prosthetics, yeah. I can't so, imagine that was comfy. They go see the seer, they meet the seer, and the seer has a little boy named Titch, who I guess is an apprentice or whatever, and they join the quest only for the seer to be murdered and replaced by a changeling so that the seer can murder Colwyn. In a really cool scene. Oh, that the, that the murder death, scene's really cool. The death of the changeling is, again, it's a gruesome and really well done effects you know that you wouldn't you don't really see that type of gruesomeness anymore no not and especially not in a film like this again like this this movie it's kind of like beastmaster in that it can get light because it's ultimately fantasy and it wants you to be entertained but it also gets pretty dark like it's it's you know it shows you how also real you know that world is or at least how dangerous it's supposed to be so at this point the cyclops joins their cause and they go off to they decide the only way they're going to be able to find the fortress now is to go see the widow of the web. Mm. Another iconic scene. And boy, is it creepy because oh. Yinair, the old one basically knows he's going off to his fate. You know, the, everybody, you know, the Torque will say, and nobody's ever gone into the web and returned alive. I guess some have gone into the web and returned dead, but right. none have gone off and returned alive. Right. right. So he goes in, and there's this giant albino spider that's kind of chasing him around. Yeah, it's like a crystal. It's like a crystal spider. It's wicked cool. Yinir and the yes, I'm from widow New England. Of... I said wicked cool. Go ahead. Sorry. Yinir and the widow of the web have a history, and he's so she's he's able to pass through safely, but. To get back, she has to. So she has this hourglass in which she can turn over, and as for while the sand is falling, the giant spider is paused. Hmm. Although it's, I, I gotta say, just as the sand's running out, you see the spider move forward. Sand hadn't run out yet, so I want to call force false start on the spider and give Yinir an extra ten yards to get out of there. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Spider cheated. uh, In order for him to get... Lissa's able to find out where the... the, It turns out the widow of the web's real name is also Lissa. Mm -hmm. Which is, again, apparently enough for her to decide she's going to help. Yeah. It's amazing how a person's name can change the plot of a movie, isn't it? Right. And it's not even a demonic possession one. Or whether it's Lissa or Martha or... Yeah, Martha. Yeah, right. So she decides she's going to help, but the only way Yinir is going to be able to get back out is he has to... She breaks open the hourglass and gives him the sand. The sand will allow him to skate, but it is constantly falling out of his hand. Right. And as soon as the last grain of sand falls out of his hand, he's going to die. This also costs the widow of her web her life because the giant spider attacks her little home in the middle of the web. Right. Yinair runs back to the camp where they're waiting for him, announces that the 
Black Fortress is going to appear in the Iron Desert tomorrow morning, and then he dies. Right. Now, here is where I would normally hit the escape key and just reload the last save and try it again. Um, in most circumstances, because again, this this movie is among the most. It's so much like a video game in the best ways. Um, uh, of, of any movie I've seen, and that's all I can think of is just how badly I want to like explore this world. Be, it is one thing after another, one mission followed by another mission, yep. and you have to find something and accomplish something in order to unlock the next level. Absolutely, it's the best kind of fantasy. It's it's the best kind of fantasy for me. Is the kind that sounds like it's being told by a excited five year old, where it's just everything's and then and then and then, and it just gets cooler and cooler. And that there's obviously this vast world surrounding him where all these other stories, but we don't have time to get all those stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's obviously a bigger story between Yennaer and the Widow of the Web and the whole web thing itself, but we never get that. It's just a set piece to explain how they're going to find the Black Fortress. Right, and it's a, it's a reasonably long movie, too, at just about two hours. Now, they, it doesn't feel it. No, it doesn't. It this, doesn't. This, but I guess what I'm saying is if they had explored much more, maybe it would have. I don't know. Yeah, this movie really feels like it's it's just over an hour mm -hmm. because it just moves. And there's like we said, there's constantly one thing after another. Right now, they realize that in order to reach the Black Fortress in time, they have to capture and ride fire mares, which are, I guess, super fast horses. Mm hmm. So they set off to capture some. They get them, and that's when the Cyclops reveals that it is this time and place that he is fated to die. Bummer. And I think it's Liam Neeson who questions, well, if he's going to die anyways, why doesn't he just come with us? And it's revealed that if they try to betray their fate, even, even worse fate will fall them. Mm. So they shake hands, he stays behind, and they ride off on these flame... Is it Flame fire bears, which are they, basically, um, yeah, fire bears. They're like Clydesdales, but their hooves are in flames, and they can like run through the sky. It's really yes. cool, and totally should be on the side of a van. We like a, a lot of the stuff in this movie should be on the side of a van, but that especially sequence of our heroes galloping on these horses across the landscape, you know, blazing a trail of fire, and then you know it's they run normal. off it's the great. side of this the side of this cliff and now they're just running through the air like ghost riders in the yeah, sky. It's great. And they make it to the fortress just in time and as they're scaling up these walls because it's a fortress slash mountain. Right. It's a really cool design. It would have made a great play set. Oh, hell yeah. These would have made great toys. I, I can't remember if they made toys. As far I as I like... recall, there was just the video game tie-in. Okay. I don't recall there being any action figures or anything else. That's a huge miss. Although they wouldn't have sold. The movie didn't do well, so they probably wouldn't have sold. But. Well, but, you know, you also kind of wonder, had they had toys, would kids have seen the toys and say, I want to go see the movie? Mm. Yeah, true. True. Maybe. Yeah, it's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, again, at the Star Wars as as was at the height of its powers, GI Joe was you know a year into its run of releasing action figures, so it, it, there was an uphill battle for any toy on the shelf. Yeah, I mean, I think Masters of the Universe was uh, getting on toy shelves at this time too. Because if you haven't seen this movie, 
Um, trust us when you do, and hopefully you will. And if you have seen this movie, then you know where this movie would be rife for all sorts of play sets and figures and accessories and stuff. Like, I'd, I'd love to have an army of Slayers. That'd be cool. Yeah, they could have sold Slayers. Uh, almost every character in this could have had an action figure. The Black Fortress playset, you know, uh, fire mares for them to ride. And plus it could fall apart like it does it. Well, spoilers. But yeah, that'd be wicked. Well, we're pretty much spoiling anything. Everything. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm kidding. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So as they're they're climbing up to get inside, they're attacked by slayers as these little pool, these windows open for the slayers to shoot down at them. Mm-hmm. And they're pinned down and they only got a few more seconds really to get inside before the fortress disappears from underneath them and ends up at some other point in the planet. And that's when they see the Cyclops has indeed followed them. He goes running up and he's taking hits, but they're not slowing him down. And he basically, you know, protects them to help them get inside. But he's caught in the door as it's closing and is crushed to death. Yeah. Again, the movie just sometimes it doesn't want to pull punches, you know? It's it, it's like, this is a fun sci-fi movie, and look at all the fun sci-fi stuff. And then, yeah, there's some really dark imagery in here. And sure enough, they, they crush that poor Cyclops. Rel is his name. We will remember his name. It was Rel. And, um, yeah, man, it still gets me, the way that happens. It just still gets me. Um, along the way, we should point out that Ergo the Magnificent and Titch the Little Boy have bonded. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Ergo has even turned himself into a puppy a few times because the kid has always wanted a dog, so. Um, To which Ergo is surprised because he's like, you know, of all the things he could wish for, a puppy. Yeah. Because that's just Ergo. But he's a nice uh, guy at heart, so you know he turns into a puppy because Titch, like you know, the the I'm sorry, Matt, the um, basically because you know the 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 Emerald Seer was killed, right? And that was Titch's master, servant, guardian, whatever, like the only other person he knew. So Titch is now following these guys to possibly his death, and uh, was just trying to cheer him up. Well, that and and Colwyn does say, "Well, we're your family now. You know, you're one of us." Right, but they are marching towards the you know black folks, and and they they have lost several people. Like right. Robbie Coltrane's character is taken out as they're ascending. Yep, into the uh, fortress. But Titch, so, to his credit, he's right there, man. Yeah, Titch isn't really afraid. No, I mean he understands what they what's at stake. Uh, sadly, but he does, you know. So they get into the fortress and they encounter all sorts of pitfalls. The floor opens up beneath them, uh, separating Ergo and Titch. Um, Colwyn finds his way into, I guess, the central chamber where Liss is being held. Right. And uh, it's not really, I don't know why at this point that Turkwell and the two other men remaining go off on their own yeah i guess it's for distraction or maybe in case they Liss is not there I, i'm not really sure either maybe it's to clear out the um you know to give the slayer somewhere else to go so colon doesn't have to deal with as many that, at least that's always been my guess so they end up falling into a death trap mm-hmm. um one of them is killed while spikes are coming out of the wall uh so leaving turquil and the youngest of the you know rogue band and Ergo and Titch are surrounded by Slayers, and Ergo turns into a tiger and starts taking out Slayers. Yeah, which is pretty cool. 
Go where go. Even even the slayers want no part of this target because you see them charging in, and then he turns and then they stop backing up. Like, well, right. okay, we didn't know there was a tiger in there. Right, right. We may be slayers, but we ain't messing with the tiger. Right, right. So now we get the final battle between Colwyn and the Beast, who we don't really. It's all, they must not have been confident about the design of the beast because he's only seen out of focus yeah yeah and um in an almost picasso like manner and the beast is already not human so we're not even 100 percent sure what he looks like but sometimes when you see him is like his mouth is all like over next to his eye it's all sort of weird and it's it's almost like he's part of the fortress itself because mm. all through the film where we see sequences of Lissa at the fortress wherever she's standing or walking through she's either standing in what looks like a giant eye mm-hmm. or in the palm of a curled clawed hand it's or walking down a corridor that looks like it's a rib cage and a spine to, and to be fair like it's all entirely nonsensical but super cool and surreal and I wouldn't change it well it almost I don't it, get it but it's awesome it's like, it he's, makes, it's like he's in her mind almost it's weird that may be why he's out of focus. He may be like a other dimensional beast. Right. <laughs> and that's why, you know, he's only partially there. Right. Like, I, I get the feeling in those scenes anyway, like he's more or less in her mind, but I'm not really sure. It's so cool. But yeah, it's not it's not really explained and um probably not really necessary either but it's it's cool it, it, it definitely it's 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 definitely one of the you know obviously this one of the critiques of this movie especially when it came out was oh it's derivative which no kidding a fantasy movie really derivative no you know the, the devil you say um but there's so much unique vision to this movie that um it's unfair to just kind of throw that at it if you want to say the effects are dated sure uh to some extent that's fair but again it's you know just to go with derivative especially for a fantasy movie that's just a really lame very redactive argument um um in this case though it's like it's stuff like that it's it's um there's a lot of again there's a lot of depth in this world building and i really want to see more of it yeah uh it Marvel Comics published a two-part adaptation as well as the whole story in a special edition. And it's a shame Marvel... It wasn't... Again, the the movie did not... This movie bombed at the box office. It actually lost money, unfortunately. Because otherwise, I think Marvel, just like they had done with their Star Trek, Star Wars, and Indiana Jones licenses, probably would have continued telling tales of Krull. Mm-hmm. We might have gotten a crawl expanded universe in the Marvel comics. I think they would have done a cool job with that, or at least I would have liked to have seen them try. Something I think something should have been done with this world, you know, um, something more than a couple of not great video games. I'm, um, I'm sure they had planned on doing sequels as well. It just, you know, the, there was no financial justification to keep it going. Yeah. Oh, so anyways, back to the end boss here. Yes, so we've got the final battle, and Colwyn finally busts out the glaive, starts taking out Slayers, starts, you know, fighting with the beast with it, and he spears, he gets it stuck in the beast, because he, he's controlling it also kind of telekinetically. Right. You know, he throws it, and he kind of Yondu. guides Yondu it around. with his arrow. Yeah, so it gets stuck in the beast, and they he turns, he goes to grab it, and 
the beast gets back up and now you're like so the grail the glaive isn't even enough to kill the beast right and as it turns out that's not what they needed anyways what they needed was let's face it they did it all with the power of love <laughs> that's right that's right and what i like about this though is it does explain i mean and nothing against um Lisette Anthony she's lovely she yeah. is she's got the most gorgeous eyes you will ever see on anybody ever she's 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 quite attractive but the reason the beast needed her was because the only thing standing between him and the domination of crow was the love between Colwyn and Lissa mm-hmm. and they combine that love into the flames of passion, let's call it. Right. And Colwyn is able to shoot flames out of his hand and destroy the beast and start bringing down the Black Fortress all around them. Right. So with that, we get the final, the finale of the film of all our heroes reuniting and trying to escape the fortress as it collapses down around them. Or up. Uh, well, it's collapsing down on them, but once they're out, it is going up into yeah, space. It's really weird, which, yeah. which again shows how this is probably like a an interdimensional nexus. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's all fantasy, and once it's you're this deep into fantasy, you either have to accept it or not. Of course. So by the end of it, it's Colwyn and Lissa. Titch and Ergo, Torquil, and I forget the other guy's name, but oh they yeah, basically, you know, mm-hmm. they've escaped, and we should. I should have mentioned this earlier. One of the reasons Torquil acknowledges that Colwyn is the key is the king is really? because Colwyn is holding the key to the manacles that they have attached to them from where they escaped as prisoners, right? And only the king and the Lord Marshal has those keys, and he doesn't look yes. like the Lord Marshal. Yes, and then at the end, he gives him the key and says, "Keep it." And Torquil goes, "But only the king and the Lord Marshal hold these keys." And like, yeah, you get it, Torquil. <laughs> right, right. So they all go off to rebuild the kingdom, and they're going to have us. Well, Lissa and Colwyn are going to have the son that will grow up to rule the galaxy, and they lived happily ever after. The end. And it, you're right, it is a shame we never really got more. Mm. Yeah, like, I, I can see why, I, I can see why it would have bombed in the face of um, other movies, especially if you're going to compare it, like, directly to movies like Star Wars, especially with Empire Strikes Back and then Jedi. Um, I, I can see why this movie wouldn't be held as high of regard. Like, maybe it was bad timing, I don't know. Um, to some extent, no, the effects don't quite hold up, but to me, it kind of holds charm to the movie. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I, I love this movie probably because I'm such a, a role-playing game guy. I'm, I'm such a D&D guy, and this speaks like so much of it to me um, in every possible way. And um, I don't know. I, 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 I like everything about it. The, the set design is so, again, for... for Again, it's a fantasy movie, right? So yeah, it's it's derivative. Yeah, it's the story of the magical weapon, um, and you know the people that he meet along the way, the requisite old man, you know, a little bit of magic. Yeah, it's got all that. But uh, honestly, those are great elements to a good story. You know, um, it, it, I feel the same way about zombie movies. Sure, they're derivative, but show me a good one and I'll watch it. <laughs> I only wonder how much better this movie could have been 
had there not been such behind the scenes, yeah, you know, shenanigans of them constantly deciding. I mean, they increased the budget, then they decreased the budget, then they decided, no, we're going to go in this direction, no, we're going to go in this direction, and this is all while they're trying to film. Right, film you a know, very ambitious movie, no less. It's bad enough when this happens before a film starts production, but during the production of the film, it's it can destroy it. Right, because most of these were sets like uh, this was like Pinewood Studios. This is the James Bond Studios, you know, in London. So this was not a cheap movie. Um, in any way, so and yeah, like if it came in in budget, I wonder even if it still bombed, would it still? what they have like forced out a sequel anyway, like sometimes happens. I don't know. Peter Yates uses every scene to its fullest. Mm. Um, I, I should have checked to see who a cinema photographer was because there was some great, you know, yes. sweeping vistas and, you know, the sets are perfectly, you know, shot, you know, everything. Yeah, the attention to detail is fantastic. Everything done, everything you see in the film works. Yep. So, I mean, the, the you know, the actors are all solid. Yep. For every the, iffy effect, there are some that still work great. And, but even the, again, at, at best, the effects are not quite spectacular, but they're all reasonable effects. Sure, especially in 1983 on like a TV Exactly. There's no really... Well, there's the one where... The only one that really doesn't work out very well is the one where the Beast tries to dress up Lissa in her queens. Oh, yeah. That doesn't quite work. But every other effect is is very well done. Right. Um, it, it's, it's just a fun movie. Oh, hell yeah. No, and it uh, definitely, it definitely belongs more in the realm of uh, fan- fantasy than science fiction. Sure, it belongs uh, closer to the Lord of the Rings side of things than definitely Star Wars. You could almost see where there was like definitely Lord of the Rings was a heavy influence in, in, in many, many sequences. Definitely, definitely. It almost seems like to me it was they were going Lord of the Rings and then said, "Well, Star Wars is popular. Let's tack some Star Wars in there." Like you said. And, and, one of the things, and I can't remember where I first read it, and I couldn't find it. I thought it was in one of my old sci-fi movie books. But that the beast initially was supposed to be a more traditional dragon. Oh, that, been, that might have been neat. I'd see that movie. But as it started, as again, they tried to make it, well, it's another world sci-fi and not a, a fantasy. They changed him into a more humanoid, demonic beast right yeah this is this is a great film um it's available on blu-ray through mill creek for i mean mill creek they sell their blu-rays for like 10 bucks it's really inexpensive yeah you have a really really i think it's probably the first edition that came out on dvd that's really packed with features yeah this thing is great um i can't believe it's 20 years old now though or 21 years old. Um, but yeah, I have the, uh, the special edition, the, um, the Columbia picture special edition came out in 2000 and it is, it's packed. It's got two different uh, behind the scenes commentaries, one with the director and one with um, um, Ken Marshall and uh, Lisette Anthony. There's the, um, 
reproduction the narrated reproduction of uh, the comic book adaptation um there's some really cool stuff on here i guess the blu-ray has none of that no the blu-ray is just the movie oh, that's too bad i got that cool slipcase that makes it look like it's an old vhs copy but which is a really neat effect i have that on the on my um beverly hills cop uh set and the, unfortunately that's all it is but it's it's neat <laughs> i like it it's evocative I of like a vhs clamshell I do have the two-issue Marvel Comics adaptation, which is, you know, nice. What, what I don't like, the only thing I don't like about the DVD, and it's a fairly minor nitpick, is that I don't like the poster that they used, the uh, cover that they used. I prefer the um, the other poster that has the uh, beast in the background with um, Colvin holding the, up the crawl with the light shooting on it, but I think that's a really cool poster. The, the more classic yeah. um, I like Star that Wars evocative poster. So, obviously, this is a highly recommended film for us. Hell yeah. Um, the only other things I could mention is stuff that we've already mentioned previously, like um, Beastmaster and sure. Jorah Hunter from the future. and Yeah, you Lord know. of the Rings. Even, again, even Star Wars to an extent. But, like, I think as soon as you see this movie, you're going to, like, immediately think of other movies that are like it. It's not hard to... It is derivative. I mean, hell, like every fantasy movie. So, But it's fun, so... Yeah. As long as you're along for the ride, I mean, who who cares? To, to be honest with you, I kind of want my fantasy movies to be at least somewhat derivative. Like, if I see a dragon, I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> you it's know, like, so I, I know what I'm getting into. <laughs> you know? They can be very comforting to yeah. watch. Right, exactly. Because you can just sit back and relax and not be like, I mean, a twist is nice every now and then, but sometimes it's like... You don't want to put that much focus into a movie. Right. Like, like sometimes you get ones that try way too hard and it's way too busy. Uh, this element, but you get, um, I, I kind of like, you know, I, again, I, I, I just, yeah, this movie is just so much fun. Um, they do just the right amount of world building and it's just familiar enough that you can just run with it. Um, but, and then, you know, they play like a little bit with it. Um, again, giving the, um, that little, I, I, I do like the idea, or I should say, assuming it was tacked on the intergalactic sort of aspect of it or interplanetary any aspect of it it works really well because again those slayers their quasi stormtroopery sort of aspect with them with those laser musket spear things it's, it's really neat um i just kind of like again i really like that idea i almost regret the fact they killed off the beast because it that much more would have guaranteed there wouldn't have been any uh, sequels or if there were they would have been different i guess i don't know but um yeah i don't know i i, I think this movie I'm not sure why it bombed. Uh, the only reason why I can think of is because it does pale in comparison to what it probably would have been compared to unfairly at the time. And it's definitely been more popular since. Like it's gained a cult following for whatever that really means since. Yes. this At least, again, this film did eventually find an audience. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give the Whit Bissell Award to um, Graham McGrath, who played Titch. Because he's obviously a very young actor, but he did an incredible job. Oh yeah, uh, for me, it's it's got to be Ergo. <laughs> it's got to be Ergo the Magnificent. He's, um, you know, he's amazing. Titch and Ergo, who are almost C three PO and R two D two of the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. In a sense, you, yeah, I didn't really think about it that way, but yeah, you definitely have a point. Uh, David Batley is Ergo. He's my uh, Whit Bissell Award. I mean, also again both. in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Or Willy Wonka, you know, rather. Colwyn's Luke Skywalker. Tyrell, the old one, is Obi Wan. Uh, Torquil is is Han Solo. Yep. Uh, you could probably say the Cyclops was Chewbacca. 
Yeah. And they're going to rescue Princess Leia. Absolutely. I'm sorry, Princess Lissa. Princess Lissa. Yes. Yes. But again, you know, it doesn't matter because it's fun. You can no. sit there and like, oh, this is just like, but I'm not sure there's a movie you can watch nowadays where you can't do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, like if you're going to go completely off-road, build your own entire world and your own entire thing, great, awesome, good for you, but it better be good. Um, you know, if you could have just taken bits and pieces from someone else who did something cool, a.k.a., you know, Tolkien, then do it. You know, don't steal. Or at least if you're going to, like, bring your own bring your own taste to it like this movie does. Or if you're going to steal, steal from the best and do it right. well. Exactly. 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 Nobody cares if you stole if it's awesome. Right. Right. That's why that's why we like heist movies. Yeah, true. We're we're rooting for these criminals to steal something awesome in an awesome way. Yeah. In fact, going uh, talk about a callback to the last episode, the bonus episode remakes Ocean's 11. That's another good one. In fact, I would say Ocean's 11 is better than the original Ocean's 11. Haven't seen it, but I've heard the same. I heard a lot of people seem to think that way. All right, so we've given our recommend. Unless you had another recommendation, no. Again, this movie kind of recommends itself. Um, I think. So now it's time for uh, or elicits its own recommendations. Magnificent Seven Degrees. Yep. Do you want to go first? Um, you can go first. I'm taking the easy way out. This movie oh, was directed by Peter Gates. Home. This direct movie was directed by Peter Yates, who directed Bullet, starring Steve McQueen. Ooh, yeah, all right. You got faster than me, but I'm going to go with a fun and, I guess, slightly more clever one. Um, Stanford Sherman, the original writer of it, um, it was, you know, the script was edited a bunch of times, but he, you know, he wrote the original story. Um, he also wrote Every Which Way You Can, which just, I don't know why that amuses me so much, but that's what's... Um, Clint Eastwood, who is in The Good and Mad, The Ugly with Eli Wallach, who is in uh, Magnificent Seven. Well done. Now, um, so that's it pretty much for Crawl, but what I would like to do now is I want to talk about director Peter Yates. He has had a great and varied career. He passed away I think two years ago, but he was, he's a British director, he made his, as I said, he directed Bullet, which is his first American-made uh, film. I didn't and know that. He, he got that based on a movie he had directed previously called Robbery. And I guess there was a really good chase scene in the robbery. And that's why Steve McQueen recommended him for um, to direct Bullet. Okay. All right, he passed away in 2011, Peter Yates. Okay. So, Bullet is, of course, famous for having one of the, if not the greatest car chase scene ever filmed. Right. Um, and it is it is a spectacular car chase. It's like the French connection of car chase scenes. Well, it, <laughs> just again... <laughs> I'm just being a dick, go ahead. Well, but French Connection, they built their scene about chasing that elevated train around because it was such a famous thing right. in Bullet. And, you know, I enjoy Bullet. It's not a movie I watch often because the height of the film is the chase scene. Fair enough. Um, you know, it's uh, 
bullet is based on a real life cop um, whose name again escapes me at the moment, but it's almost it's basically the same cop that inspired Dirty Harry. Okay, and it's the the guy Mark Ruffalo plays in Zodiac because okay the cop was one of the lead investigators in the Zodiac case. Okay, that makes sense because like um because Dirty Harry you know Scorpio yeah I get it yeah. So, you know, Bullet's, a, you know, Bullet is basically about, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a murder mystery action movie where Bullet was assigned to protect a mob informant who was about to go on trial to testify against the mob. Okay. But somebody lets the location of the safe house slip. The guy is murdered. He's, Bullet says, well, let's make it seem like he's still alive and under police protection so we can draw the killers out. And you get a really good 70s cop drama. Okay. Now, that's, you know, so we've gotten a great action cop drama from PDH. We've got this fantasy movie we just talked about. Sure. Well, let's talk about another PDH movie, Mother, Jugs, and Speed. Oh, okay. Which is a dark comedy starring... The Fallen from Grace, Bill Cosby, right, as Mother, Raquel Welch as Jugs, and <laughs> Harvey Keitel as Speed. Okay. Mother Jugs and Speed is about this ragtag little ambulance company that's trying to gain the city contract, and all sorts of you know shenanigans ensue. But it's also really dark. Like characters are killed. Um, I've never seen it. Is it good? I enjoyed it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Okay. But it's one of those great ensemble... I'm trying to think of another movie where I can compare the type of comedy to. But like I said, it's 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 a dark comedy. Okay. Um, and then one of my favorites, and we're going back into the, the crime drama, Peter Yates directed, as far as I'm concerned the definitive Boston crime thriller. You can depart with your departed. You can get out of town with your town. Black Mass. I'm skipping Mass this Sunday. I really like Mystic River. Mystic River is a good one. Mystic River is good. But The Friends of Eddie Coyle, it is a super realistic unglamorous, unflinching look at blue-collar criminals, and it is just... I cannot recommend The Friends of Eddie Coyle highly enough. Okay, It's based on a novel. I don't know if you remember my friend Rick Gifford. I used to work with him at the hospital. He passed away a few years ago. He was a huge film buff as well. He turned me on to this movie. It was one of his favorites. At the time, this was when I was still renting discs from Netflix, and I rented it, and I absolutely loved it. It stars Robert Mitchum and Peter Boyle. Robert Mitchum is a low-level criminal who has he's awaiting his sentence, saying he was he was arrested for a truck hijacking in New Hampshire, and he's been convicted, and he's awaiting sentencing. And this is his third strike. So he knows he's going up for a long time. 
Now, do you know where specifically in New Hampshire so I can go sufficiently woohoo and smile knowingly that I know where that place is? We'll just say Bedford. Go on. Well, you know, it's probably where, and again, this was the 70s, so truck routes might have changed. So if there's a heavy trucking route from New Hampshire into Boston, that's probably where it was. I mean, probably 93, but back then, I'm not sure. I'm just, you know, I have to tie it back to all the other, you know, to basically every other movie you just said. (laughs) So Eddie Coyle knows he's going away for a long time, but he's also not a rat. And the, the, there's an ATF agent who keeps going to him like, if you rat out your crew, I can, you know, go easy on this. So there's fear of the mob who think, well, Eddie might rat on us to get a better deal. We might have to take him out. Okay. But Eddie's old school, you don't rat on your friends. Right. That's something a Yankees but man would do. he does know of a different criminal who is running guns to a group of bank robbers who are doing bank heists all over the city, like really daring daylight bank robberies. Probably in Charlestown, yep. So he's willing to sell these guys to catch his deal. Unfortunately, what Eddie doesn't know is there's another snitch out there who's snitching ahead of him, and the mob thinks it might be Eddie that's doing the snitching. Okay. I, I don't want to talk any more about this movie because you really, if, if you're into crime dramas at all, you need to see The Friends of Eddie Coyle. It's on... What did I see it on? It's on something right now for free. I know it's a Criterion Collection disc. I, I just always hesitate to get those because they're super expensive. Yeah. But this movie says Boston to me, which actually speaks more about my opinion. But... <laughs> Fair enough. You know, it's it's the 70s, but it doesn't glamorize anything. And that's one of my problems with the town is like Ben Affleck wanted to glamorize the criminals in that movie. Right. You know, they weren't Robin Hoods. Right. And they wanted to beat into a head. This is Boston. We're holding up Fenway. We're, we're holding up Fenway Park, kid. Come on, kid. Come on, kid. Let's get, let's, let's get our Dunkin' Donuts and go hold up Fenway. Dude, this is wicked awesome, dude. That's one of the reasons I never bought that movie. All those chase scenes and they don't pass pass by 12 Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> right. You're not in Boston. No. No. I live, um, what, two miles from where I work? I pass three Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work in the morning. Oh, sure. And that's, and that's not counting the Dunkin' Donuts that's in the lobby of where I work. Yes, that's right. True story. But enough of that, sh- that from us. Um Friends of Eddie Coyle, see it. Crow, see it. uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle is on free on Pluto right now. Free on Pluto? Yeah. Good deal. Cool. All right, you got anything else you want to say? Uh, Not really, except that, um, uh, uh, you know, going back very quickly to the the bonus episode for anyone who listened, um, and hopefully this will turn out the same, um, I hope. Everybody likes the newer audio quality because I wasn't super pleased with how it was coming across before either. So um, hopefully this turns a new page of much easier to hear from me uh, audio. Yes. New and improved audio, but no improvement into the actual show itself. I'm still a rambling idiot, but now you can hear me clearly ramble. Yes. 
Just two idiots yammering on about movies. Right. But but we want to thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody who is listening. And um, it's really cool that there are people listening. Uh, like I said to Matt when we started this, um, and like he mentioned almost every time, like we do this because we just enjoy doing it. And I said if there was literally one other person listening, um, I'd keep doing it. So that's uh, fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, just to remind you, you can find us on Facebook at TV slash Movie Rewind Asylum. Yep. And on Instagram at TV slash Movie Rewind Podcast under Movie Matt Royce. One word. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone.